right, so we are back. JD, how are you today? All is well, all is well. What's going on? Oh man, it's Friday here. We're recording on a Friday. You have big weekend plans? Uh, nah. Um, this is a rare light weekend for me, so I'm going to take advantage of it and chill, man. I like it. I like it. Well, guess what? We're having another fantastic episode today. We have Adam Steinberg here from Flocana. I'm really interested today in hearing about Flocana. Flocana is like making waves. We're trying. We're uh, trying. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So, 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 Adam, t- tell our audience a little bit about what Flocana is to get us started. Sure. Why don't I uh, tell you kind of how it started, where we came, and we've definitely evolved over the past four years. I can kind of give you the story where we started and where we've come. That'll probably give you the best context if that works. Sounds good. Perfect. Um, so we launched in February 2015. Um, so I met Mikey, our CEO, one of our other co-founders, uh, like September 2014. Uh, he told me, told me about this idea he had. Um, he had gone up to Humboldt, Mendocino, it's like Emerald Triangle. I think you guys pretty much know probably Emerald Triangle more. So, more so tell our audience what, what that means, because sure. that, that is, I mean, around here, we all know what that means. But. Cool. So Emerald Triangle is Mendocino County, Humboldt County, and Trinity County. Uh, Northern California is about the size of Ireland, roughly. And they've said, uh, historically, there's like roughly 40 to 50,000 cannabis farmers up there that have been historically supplying 80, roughly 80% of the cannabis in, in the entire nation, historically, is what they say. Have you seen this Netflix documentary? Murder Mountain? Yeah, Murder Mountain. Of course I have. What's, what's, give, tell the people, was this thing real? Uh, what is it? Is it real? I don't know. How I to, mean, I like, know how like, I did you, one. did you like the documentary? Um, it has its pros and cons, I guess I'll say. Um, I did like the part that it definitely gave the impression that legalization is, is helping move some of those things forward and eliminate some of those dangers is what they showed in that show. Um, I think they're, they're, they made it seem like all of the Emerald Triangle, I think, and all of Humboldt County is like that. And Alder Point is, is a very small city within the Emerald Triangle and within Humboldt County. Um, I, you know, there are definitely more, I would say, more missing persons cases up there than some of the other parts of the country. Uh, just because of uh, its vast wilderness, no cell phone service, a lot of people living off the land, not connected, totally disconnected from society. You know, some of those missing people may be missing on purpose, and some of them are probably missing for, you know, nefarious reasons. But yeah, uh, I, I think it just, it sort of speaks to this idea. I mean, it's just an exciting, to me, it's an exciting place to be. It's like at this moment in time and history of the United States, this is a, a location, an area where a lot is going on. Yeah, there's going to be some adventure, there's going to be some intrigue. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, there's definitely still, you know, the I, I said it somewhat, you know, not lawlessness, but out, outlaw attitudes up there for sure. But I think legalization is, is definitely changing that and is, you know, drawing more of a line of the people that are trying to go legit. And then, you know, there's some people that have decided they don't want to try to go legit. All right. So, so flash forward back. Yep. Anyways, so flash back to. Yep. So yeah, I met Mike, our CEO, uh, September, 2014. Um, he had done some consulting kind of for free in the industry, just kind of learn and learn about the industry. Eventually, he made his way up, made his way up to Humboldt uh, with a broker that he met at the dispenser he was consulting at. You know, it was the traditional ride up to Emerald Triangle, blindfolded, and take you to some farms. Don't know how to get there, so they don't show you how to get there. Um, and then he came across uh, these two farmers, Casey and Amber, who run Happy Day Farms up in Mendocino County. Um, and you know, these guys are you know an amazing couple. Uh, you know, 
much more than just organic. They're you know fully regenerative off grid. They don't just grow cannabis. They grow fruits, vegetables, herbs, um, and they kind of view cannabis as in a lot of ways, kind of like a small farm subsidy in that, you know, they like to grow fruits and vegetables and sell those at a farmer, at, you know, at their local farmer's market up there. And it's a really big community thing. But, you know, if you sell a pound of, you know, apples or, you know, celery for five bucks and you sell a pound of weed for a thousand bucks plus. So they've kind of viewed cannabis as kind of like a small farm subsidy is that help them support the rest of their operation, you know, living off the grid and, you know, sort of living this re regenerative, uh, you know, organic lifestyle. And um, so he met them and was like, these are the people I want to help. This is what I want to do. I want to build a mod around these people. And I met him probably a month or so after that. And he told me this idea, I want to build a mod around these small farmers that, you know, we really so, feel. So sorry to, to, to back up. Yep. So it sounds like the genesis of the idea for Flocana was really in the farmers. Is that right? Definitely. Absolutely. And so when you're, you're, you're with your friend, are you sitting around saying, how do we help these people? Is it, is it, you know, in, in my experience with startups, it's all about finding a problem to solve and, and helping people. Yeah. Right. Sales is actually the art of, of helping people. Yeah. So were you sitting there saying, wait a minute, how do we help these farmers survive and thrive? Exactly. Um, you know, we feel like these farmers up at the Emerald Triangle, a lot of them I've been doing it for, you know, multiple decades, if not multiple generations, a lot of these, you know, a lot of these families have grown up in these same properties. They, you know, their families have been growing cannabis. Some of them have been, you know, walking around in a cannabis field since they are four or five years old. Um, and we, we really feel like these are the people that, you know, built this industry in a lot of ways. Um, you know, we may not be sitting in this room, Flocana would probably not exist if it weren't for these people that, you know, persevered under much more difficult times than, than we are operating in cannabis now. You know, they were constantly under threat of, you know, the DEA helicopters coming down on their property, cutting down their plants, you know, sending them off to jail. Um, we've got one of our farmers who's definitely one of my favorite farmers, Johnny uh, from Huckleberry Hill Farm. Uh, he grew up, you know, his parents grew cannabis. His mom was a huge advocate. He grew up, you know, growing cannabis with his parents since he was four or five years old. Um, and for some, you know, technical reason, his property was like right up against BLM land or something. And he went to prison for nine years when he was 20 um for growing a plant that all it does is help people um and you know there's a lot of people like him that persevered in much more difficult times and you know i don't think we would be in this industry and wouldn't be here today if it weren't for these people that persevered and we just feel like you know they deserve to uh, operate an industry in a model where they can continue to survive and thrive as you know more corporate money comes in here and more industrial type processes come in i think there's definitely risks that um you know these smaller producers um would have you know be much more challenging for them to survive. Um, so definitely, yeah, definitely been built around the small farms. So, so chance bending. Uh, this podcast is an entrepreneur podcast. It sounds like you identified a group of people you want to help. Then, then what? Like, how, how does it go from from yeah. an idea into actually making reality sure happen? Yep. So, you know, we came out. We want to build a model around these small farmers. Um, you know, if you walked into dispensary, I don't know if you guys had recommendations, you know, 10, 5, 10 years ago, we're walking into dispensaries when it was the, you know, medical prop 215 world. Did have you guys have recommendations going into dispensaries at all? Uh, recommendation? Like, but pre-2018 pre when you had a, you know, medical recommendation from a doctor and you went into dispensaries, it wasn't, you know, recreational, it was just adult medical. Or not adult, not adult, just medical. So what was the question you asked? Did you guys, I'm just curious, did you guys used to... When was the first time you guys went into a dispensary in California? How about that? Let's keep it as simple as that. Uh, when it became recreational. Okay, got it. For me, I, I went in, I think once, I did get my medical, uh, what do you, what's the word for it? 
certification. Medical, medical recommendation. Yeah, I got the medical recommendation, recommendation, I think, in 2016. Okay. Uh, just to check it out. Yep. And it was like I opened up like a whole new world. Right. It was, And it was so confusing to me. Um, and so I, I want to get into that. Yeah. So, I mean, that was a little bit, I think that was a little later, but you know, before when we launched, when around the time when we launched 2015, it was used to most buyers and dispensaries and consumers, you know, you walk into a dispensary, um, buyers, you know, either cannabis is in the big jars on the shelves behind and, you know, dispensaries would weigh it out for you on a scale and put it in a plastic baggie and write the strain name on it. And, or, um, you know, you would have, they'd come in sort of the pre-packaged dispensary branded Mylar packaging and all dispensary branded stuff and just the strain name. And so back then when you walked in the dispensary, you didn't know who grew that cannabis. You didn't know where it came from. You didn't know how it was grown, um, from a mysterious and transparency and health standpoint, that's not great. And two, the people that actually produced it were getting no credit at all. It was just the buyers at dispensaries were just putting their name on it, um, and just passing it off as theirs. And why do you think that is? Um, why do you think that it happened that way in the industry? Do you feel like it was just a rush, you know, a rush to put out products and then we had a flight to quality is, or, or we're in the middle of a flight to quality? Uh, I don't know. That's a great question. Um, I think there's probably a number of reasons that probably one is it's easier without having to, you know, if people are going to still buy it and you don't have to tell tell much information about it, you can just put it in the cheapest, easiest, most packaging and someone's still going to buy it. Why not continue to do that? I guess. Yeah, I, I mean, I think there's probably a, f a fairly big audience where if you just put some, uh, a piece of tape on it and say marijuana, people are going to buy it. Sure. <laughs> or beer or whatever yep. it may be. Um, but then there's a new type of consumer yeah. um, where things are starting to get interesting. Yep. And so it seems like you anticipated this? Uh, yeah, I mean, anticipated is more like we wanted to just um, set up a model ecosystem where the farmers and producers were getting more credit. So... Um, you know, we want it from the beginning. We, on all the packaging we had, we, you know, put the farmer name, which farm grew it and also where it was grown. So giving people that more information, really getting, giving a sense of who grew it and where it came from. Um, but back then, um, because that's what buyers are used to, we wanted to, you know, we came to them with, you know, a prepackaged jar, branded jar of flour. And they said, why the fuck am I going to buy this? I buy my cannabis by the pound in turkey bags at, you know, and mark it up 5X and see a much higher margin and put it in these big jars and wait out in front of people. I put it in my own plastic baggie. So, um, you know, we got rejected by a bunch of dispensaries. So I said, all right, well, fuck it. We're just going to go direct to consumer. Um, so our other third co-founder, Diego, he's an engineer. So, you know, you can't obviously put an app in the apps, Apple App Store to sell weed, but we built a web app, looked like an app um, and just started going direct to consumer in the Bay Area. And uh, just really making a name for sun-grown organic cannabis, which I didn't mention much earlier, but all the farmers that we work with only grow full sun, you know, fully organic. You know, we don't really work with any farmers that grow indoor or any, you know, assisted light. We, you know, some of our farmers do some sort of light depth in greenhouse, but no, no assisted light at all. Um, but anyway, that was really how we, because we got, you know, dispensaries didn't want to take prepackaged branded flour. Uh, we started just going direct consumer, built this web app and launched that in the Bay Area and started making a name for you know, small farmer grown, sun grown organic cannabis and, and also, you know, as a byproduct making a name for Flocana. And then um, about a year in, I think some other players in the industry really helped us along. I would say, um, you know, one that comes to mind is Marley Natural as an example. I think you guys obviously know Bob Marley, you probably know they, they launched uh, or Privateer Holdings sort of licensed their name and launched their brand. Because of the strength of the Marley name, I think they went out and said, we want to put branded prepackaged flour on the shelf. And I think dispensaries were a bit more accepting of that. I was like, the, Bob Marley's the you know, arguably the, 
biggest name and biggest name associated with cannabis. Wait, so, so Bob like, Marley has weed. Uh, not. I mean, a company has licensed his name uh-huh. to put uh, on to brand cannabis. Um, Are they doing well? Uh, I'm not sure lately, to be honest. I don't. I don't hear as much about them. I, I guess what I will say is, um, you know, they're one example. I think actually helped us in a lot of ways when we they got prepackaged. You know pre-packaged branded flour on the shelf. And so they kind of open up the door. I think there's some other people that helped us along the way. And so um, from that sense, I think they, you know, they helped us along the way. So I'll say that at least. Um, and so, yeah, so about a year in, we started to see that, you know, that was going to actually open up. So then we basically brought on a head of sales who was running an edible company um, and started building, you know, the wholesale side of things and distribution. So, so let's back up. Sorry. Let's back up yep. a little bit. How did you, did you guys raise money originally? How did you get? How did you get this thing going? Yep. Like, how did you snowball? Yeah. So originally we raised like a friends and family round. Uh, I think it was five hundred grand to just build the web app and um, yeah, and fund you, some marketing. And was it truly friends and family? Were you going around asking for? for uh, yep. Yeah. Yeah. So my, uh, Mikey, our, uh, our CEO, our, my co-founder, he um, he started a company in South America before food distribution company. He's from Venezuela um, and you know, has a fairly deep network of investors and family that were willing to support us. Wow. So. So you have this idea, you get $500,000. Yep. And then you decide that you are going to create sort of, a, what, what like art, artisanal, like, is that the right word? Yeah. I think uh, it's more like, you know, craft, small batch. Craft. Yep. Yeah. How do you, how does, for, for audience, and, and I think it's, it goes to your, to your question earlier, how do we evaluate, how should we evaluate the quality of cannabis you, you mentioned like sun grown. Mm-hmm. Is that important? Like, like walk us through the sort of some of these ideas for the average person that is might be getting into cannabis um, or, or might be curious. Sure. Um, yeah. I mean, I think everyone has their own preferences. I will preface it with that. These are my own personal opinions. Uh, and, you know, everyone has their own preferences. Some people love sun grown. Some people love indoor. Some people love something somewhere in between there. Um, for, you know, me personally, I think, um, a lot of our farmers have sort of described these metaphors to me that I think really resonate with me. So like, you know, one is like, um, you walk into Whole Foods, uh, or let's just say Safeway, um, and you see, you know, the red delicious apples on one, you know, one aisle that all look, you know, pretty much the same, look perfect. They're shiny and red, all the, all the perfect shape. And then you look at the organic aisle and, you know, no apple is shaped the same. Some probably have some bruises and none of them are colored really the same. But when you actually bite into one of those, which one is going to taste better? You tell me. I would say the organic one, probably. Uh, so second, I think that's kind of, you know, I guess in the other comparison, I think then you look at, you know, that's kind of a similar thing that, you know, the red delicious one that's not perfect has been used a whole lot of, you know, pesticides and other sort of chemicals to make it look perfect. But as a result, it doesn't taste as great, in my opinion. Uh, so I think that's kind of a similar comparison to sort of sun grown versus indoor. Indoor, because it's grown indoor, you know, um, artificially created climates and, you know, it's indoor, it's not out in the sun in a natural environment. So there's needs to be some more artificial inputs to make that plant grow, uh, versus something that's growing out in the sun for a full eight months. Um, you just can't really replicate that, um, indoors in my opinion. Um, other sort of metaphor I think is, is really resonates is, um, biggest plants in the world are redwood trees, right? Redwood trees, they just grow out in the world, out in the wild by themselves simply because of everything else that's in the soil and everything else that sort of uh, biodegrades in the soil, all the old other plants and grass and everything else. Um, and that's what sort of 
makes healthy soil and that alone plus water is what helps make redwoods grow to be the biggest plants in the world that's all you need to grow cannabis so so it sounds like if, if jd and i were to go into a store we should ask for sun grown that's my personal preference yes it, are there other are, are there other things we should ask for or that we should know about uh i mean you know personally for me i would ask you know who grew this um that'll give you a sense of did it come from you know a large corporate vertically vertically integrated greenhouse in the central valley or was it grown by you know a small family farmer that you know in my mind built this industry okay what else um you know you can also ask you know if you look what type of you know sort of general effects you're looking for what type of taste each terpene has a different type of taste uh, my personal favorite i would say are kind of the jack strain which has terpinaline um which is you know I don't really even know how to describe what that flavor is like. There's nothing else that really smells like it. Um, I like that. Or if you like, you know, like fruity strains, you like really citrusy strains, you can ask for like, you know, limonene, which is another terpene that really has that citrus, citrus smell and taste. JD, this is an entire world. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy, man. So, but it, it, so it sounds like you guys really focus on a high quality product from day one. Yep, definitely. And you started working with farmers what is that like? Is it, uh, you know, with Flocana, wh what do you take, like walk us through how you take their product and turn it into a Flocana product? Uh, sure. So um, I don't know but exactly what answer you're looking for in that, but I guess, you know, we, uh, you know, we source with, you know, at this point over a hundred farmers up in the Emerald Triangle spread out through Mendocino and Humboldt. Um, you know, we basically ha have a grading system in place that, you know, basically takes into account potency, shape, size, smell, you know, three or you know, four to five different factors, and then we grade it on basically, you know, triple A, double A, or single A. Um, Flocon of gold is basically the triple A, Flocon of silver is the double A, and then single A goes into some other types of products. Um, and then, you know, basically goes into a jar and it's branded, you know, it's sort of Flocon is sort of the umbrella brand uh, that sort of, you know, helps support all the other sort of smaller farmer brands. And then, you know, the farmer name is on there as well as the strain name. Um, you know, as well as all the potency information that's both you want to know and also required by the state as well. That's so cool. So it sounds like Flocana, what you're saying is it's the umbrella brand and then the farmer's brand is still part of yep. what you offer. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's a good relationship because, um, you know, let's just say, you know, a farm, you know, one of the smaller farmers up in Mendocino, they may grow, let's just say, uh, you know, 150 pounds in a harvest, which could service, you know, I don't know, let's just say maybe 10 dispensaries if they were to buy only their flour throughout the year. Maybe if they're only buy their flour, maybe two or three dispensaries. So, you know, in themselves, they don't have the scale to build a brand that can be, you know, recognized on a large enough scale. But, you know, Flocana to, you know, Flocana is a big enough brand with all the farmers together that we've become one of the more well-known brands in the state. And, you know, that relationship and sort of getting to associate with a larger brand while still sort of getting to promote this, you know, smaller brand, meaning the farmer's name is, is a good symbiotic relationship. So, um, background on how i got introduced to flow kind of was obviously through our good friend sasha yep i always pick her brain about you know the top brands in the industry and who's making waves and for maybe maybe six months now she always would mention like flow kind of those are my boy we should go up there and visit them is that like all, all the all the good stuff so yep. um i have a lot of friends who come in town and visit me um a lot of a lot of the Detroit community comes and visit me, so Definitely. a lot of time they, you know, they want to see what all the hype is about with yeah. the, you know, the dispensaries out here. So I yeah. take them to a few spots, 
And um, <clears throat> one in particular is a dispensary called Bark, you know, yep. San Vicente. Yeah. Um, so we walked in there, and then I noticed, like, Flo Khan. I'm like, oh, shit, that's what Sasha is talking about. So I tell my boys, like, check that one out. Like, my my homegirl always yeah. is telling me about that. So I just wanted to let you know a few strains. I haven't tried any yet. I'm, right. on, I'm on a fast right now. Okay. I'm trying to, I'm trying to complete a <laughs> I year. I respect that. Oh, wow. I'm, try, I'm trying to co complete a year sober. So Congrats. I like it. Not, not for any, like. <laughs> serious reason yeah, I, just, just, I like to, just I like to show yeah. yourself you can do it yeah I, I like to challenge myself yeah. like that but um so my boys rave about it though like awesome. i'm not just I saying that so two strains in particular that i want you to know that okay. the detroit community loves flocana wedding cake yep and flocana citrus ballistic i haven't tried the citrus ballistic actually yo i'll have to they, try it they're though. going crazy about it i'm I just love letting it. you know man all right i love it we'll have to get some more down here then whatever grower is growing that just you got to let them know they're doing i'll, I'll let job, them know man. for sure yeah. so will, will it be one farmer who creates the citrus ballistic or will it be a different a whole group of farmers oh that's a good question i mean a lot of our farmers uh a lot of them share genetics within sort of their their network so we definitely will have you know could be one to two could be you know I, there's not usually more than you know three or four farmers that are growing the same strain a lot of the time they've shared that genetic you know with a few of their other farmer friends and so they're yeah we definitely have you know multiple farmers that grow the same strain but uh because our farmers grow from seed rather than clone each plant is going to be a little bit different so each you know same strain going by that same going by three different farmers is going to is going to turn out differently and i think um that's kind of what i think what makes sort of the the cannabis that that flocana has special and and because of the relationship with the emerald triangle and um it's kind of these three factors it's you know the farmer uh you know the specific sort of microclimates and terroir that you know where the emerald triangle is um as well as sort of the genetics that these farmers have developed over the years that you know sort of symbiotic relationships specifically with you know with their farm and their location so you know if you were to take the same genetic from you know, let's just say water dog herb farm that lives up our hill from our centralized processing facility. And you were to grow that down in, you know, uh, even a sun grown farm in Santa Barbara, as an example, it's not going to turn out the same just because it wasn't grown in the same microclimate and exact same terroir, very similar to how wine is. So, so is that something that you guys actively market this idea that it's small batch and every time, like if, if JD's friends come back, it might be a, it might be a different citrus than they had before. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's a it's an interesting thing to market because people also do love consistency. Also, so I mean, it is a delicate balance, I would say. Um, but you know, I think there's you kind of have to ask more about if you really want to look into the science, you can look at what the cannabinoid content is and what sort of what the terpene content is, and sort of you can find similar strains that have that similar sort of cannabinoid and, and terpene sort of mix and, and makeup. So you can whether it, even if it's not the same strain, if you're going to get you know technical, you could definitely find something that's going to have a similar effect based on sort of those two factors. Um, Adam, so with your role as CMO of Flocana, what is the biggest challenge with that? Because we talked about this on the last podcast with uh, when Dr. Chin came through, and um, we were talking about the challenges in marketing a business like this. So, what do you find that you have some hurdles that you may sure. have to get over, and you know what? Are, what do you see in the industry that are that's growing? And, and that's a good question. It's it's interesting that you asked that. We actually just. Uh, Cyber brand marketing and sort of and business development as well, sort of a bifurcated role since we started. So it's about four years ago, um, and we actually just brought on a, a new CMO, so I can focus more exclusively on business development and some of the partnerships that we're working on from uh, from Stone Brewing, which is one of the bigger craft beer brands in the country. 
Um, we feel like, you know, felt like we got to the, got to a point where we were reaching somewhat of a national and global scale um, and wanted to bring on with someone with much more expertise, which is great. I'm super excited about. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, historically, uh, definitely a lot of challenges. I mean, the, the just the amount of channels uh, that you have to market the brand is much more limited than, you know, an average brand. As an example, um, we really leveraged the Facebook ad network for a while. We have some really great video content and videographer that's really amazing and, you know, can really capture sort of the the essence of the farms. We built a lot of really great farmer content and telling the farmer stories. We used the Facebook ad platform for probably the, the first two years, uh, got shut down three times, got it back up twice. The third time they said, you're gone. Um, you know, tried to use the Twitter ad platform that got shut down in under 30 seconds. <laughs> Google AdWords got shut down in less than a month. Um, so you definitely have to get pretty creative because the, a lot of the traditional channels that, you know, a marketing team or marketing organization might use are, are not available. Um, so yeah, it's an inter interesting challenge, but when you find, you know, when you find out, uh, you know, different, you know, methods and channels that are successful, you can kind of get an edge because no one else has really figured that out yet. Right, 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 right. Was there a particular channel that worked well for you in the as as you guys got started? Uh, yeah, I would really say the fa the Facebook ad platform really was was really useful. Really helped us tell the story uh, of sort of what we were building and through the through the eyes of these farmers and telling their stories. And uh, because there was a whole lot of other people figuring out, figuring out how to advertise, you know, cannabis on the Facebook ad platform, it was you know fairly cheap to get a lot of views. So it was fairly efficient way to get get the brand out there were the ads on facebook like totally out there like straight bud straight people smoking no nah, it's i mean it's it's more it's more uh i would say like landscape shots like drone shots of farms and then like interviews with the farmers and them telling their story about right. how they started right it's right. not like you know big zoomed in bud shots who, who do you guys view as your as your primary customer now like what does your customer look like um that's a great question i think it's a really big mix um uh, you know, we have we have consumers that are, you know, I would say probably the a average consumer is somewhere between it's like, you know, 27 and like 50. So it's it's pretty broad. I think it's more about uh, the values that that sort of demographic and that consumer has if they care about the products that they're buying and where they come from and, you know, who they're supporting by where they're putting their money. I think it's it's more about sort of a common value system rather than this person is this age and looks like this. And, and uh, where are you finding these these people today? Like, uh, describe some of your marketing efforts, uh, you know, in broad terms today. Uh, sure. I mean, we do a lot of, um, you know, experiential marketing. We do we do a lot of events, sponsor a lot of events. We've been trying to get a lot more involved in non-cannabis events. Um, like, we just sponsored a huge um, sort of organic uh, food festival up in Sacramento called the Farm to Fork Festival. It's like a 200,000 purse event. You know, we are the first cannabis brand they've ever had there. Um, so I think it's we're really trying to sort of focus on some of the non-cannabis avenues where, you know, rather than that, that there's nothing wrong with it, but let's just say like the high times of event where it's a bunch of a bunch of cannabis brands and a bunch of cannabis consumers, you know, they already know about cannabis. They already know what they're looking for. But if we can get, you know, sort of the brand out there uh, in environments where cannabis is not traditionally, you know, had a place, then we can get it, get in front of some of these newer consumers that are starting to get curious about cannabis. When, it, when you say business development, I know without revealing too much like what what could that mean in the Yeah, well, I actually can tell you the rest of the, the rest of the story about uh, the brand that'll kind of give you a sense of what that means. Yeah, so after we had just started to uh, we had ran the delivery service for about a year and then we started branching into wholesale. Um, and you know, we started working with 5 to, you know, 15 farmers at this point, we work with over 100 and you know, we started to get to the point where we started to need we really needed to look at some of these other models around the world that you know, um, are really sort of working with independent producers at scale. 
Um, and so we actually took a t trip down to Columbia. Um, one of our investors and now one of our employees that sort of runs some of our upstream ops, his family owned a fresh cut flower farm, uh, fresh cut flower company in Colombia and Ecuador. Um, that's one model. I think the one that resonates and uh, can connect with people a bit more is, is kind of like how the South American coffee model works, where most of the coffee that a lot of people buy around the world is grown by, you know, smaller, smaller, I mean, a co average small coffee farm is much bigger than an average small cannabis farm, but you know, they're still independent family farms, uh, but they send their beans for a centralized facility where they're dried, roasted, cured, and packaged and distributed at scale, which are basically roasting houses. Very similar model we're doing here. Now we work with, you know, 100 plus farmers or so, and we really needed to look at how we could bring some, you know, economies of scale and sort of, you know, industrial processes to, you know, to the system to help really show this model that this could be a scalable model. So similar thing, we acquired uh, an old winery up in southern Mendocino County, uh, Redwood Valley. It's a little bit north of Ukiah. Uh, it's the old Fetzer winery. I don't know if you guys know Fetzer, Fetzer very well. They sold the Brown Foreman like in the early 2000s, but they left, a Brown Foreman basically left the real estate asset to the family. It was basically unused and essentially abandoned for like 10, 15 years or so. And we have a bunch of farmers that live up the road past the property. And right when we realized, we took this trip to Columbia with some of our farmers and we realized we need to find a you know, centralized processing facility similar to what coffee does. And some of our farmers said, oh, there's this you know, the old Fetzer wineries, I pass that every day and it's been abandoned for 10 years. You guys should reach out to the family. And it ended up ended up purchasing that property, actually closed in it the day Prop 64 passed. No uh, kidding. And yeah, similar thing. So basically you're doing centralized processing there. It's about basically acquired three parcels over the past uh, two or three years. So it's now about 300 acres, uh, about 200,000 square feet of industrial space. So we're probably the largest processor of, you know, flour in the state, I think at this point, one of the largest ones. And then and then the next, you know, Q2, Q3, turning on extraction. And then by the end of the year, we'll have, you know, uh, other value-add products, edible, edible topicals and tinctures. So, you know, basically answer your question, we're continuing to build the Flocana brand, which kind of supports everything, but are really starting to, you know, partner and power other brands and white label and co-pack for other brands and sort of are doing kind of a, uh, co-branding powered by Flocana concept, similar to, you know, Intel inside, kind of, if you know that it's powered by Flocana, you're using oil that was, you know, inputs used from, you know, small independent <coughs> sun-grown organic farmers that can kind of, you know, add value to that brand as well, because our goal is really to move as much volume for these small farmers as we can. That's how we help them survive. And we know that, you know, there's millions and millions of pounds up in the Emerald Triangle, and it's unrealistic for us to assume that we can just move that through the Flocana brand. So in terms of business development, it's, um, you know, really working with some of these other brands and sort of, you know, vetting and something due diligence. And was was that always part of the vision? Not really. I mean, it, it continued to evolve over time. I guess, I mean, we started as a delivery service because we had to, and then it evolved into, you know, wholesale distribution. And then when we got to a certain scale and working with, you know, 50 plus farmers are like, we really need to bring some, you know, economies of scale and sort of, you know, centralized processing and aggregation to this and then started moving to that direction. And now, you know, become to the point where we're one of the largest aggregators and processors in the state. So we really have the, you know, ability to power a lot of the brands in the state via, you know, sun-grown organic cannabis. And I think that's a way for us to really, you know, push the sun-grown organic movement through, you know, sort of horizontal, horizontal integration with all the, if all the brands on the shelf are using you know, inputs and oil from, you know, small organic farmers, then, then we win. I get a, I get a whole foods vibe. Like, you know, if you're using Flocon, it's like yep. pure, like organic, you know, you exactly. Know. All right. All right. Wow. So, so you go from a little idea, a little seed, uh, about four or five years ago. Yep. You raise a little friend and family. Yep. You start working with these, uh, family farmers Yep. up North. Things start to grow. You realize to keep expanding, you have to you have to actually change the idea of, of what Flocana is. Yep. And here we are today. Like, how are you guys looking at 2019 and 20? 
what's next? Like what, what, what does it look like out there for, for the, the cannabis industry right now? It's a good question. So I think it's going to be kind of a make or break year, uh, to be honest, for, for better or for worse. Um, yeah, historically, we, we just closed our Series B. Before that, we raised about $50 million in total. We just closed the Series B, which is probably, um, you know, we'll have a press release coming out next week, but it's going to be, was probably one of, if not one of the, the largest private rounds in the industry so far. Uh, we felt like we really needed to, to raise and lock down a, a large, you know, war chest, essentially, because we really feel like, you know, some of these bigger Canadian players with billions of dollars are inevitably going to start infiltrating California. They already are. And it, I think it's going to be, for better for us, it's going to be somewhat of a year of consolidation in a lot of ways. And it's going to kind of be a, you know, make or break year for a lot of people. Um, so I think you're going to see, unfortunately, I think you're going to kind of see consolidation and, and a lot of these, you know, operators are, are, are going to struggle to survive, you know, within the, over the next six to nine months, which is really, really hard to see and tough to say. But you know, we, we, for us personally, we felt like we needed to raise a large amount of cash so we could continue to survive and compete with that. And through that, you know, continue to support these small farmers. Wow. So is it possible, if I'm hearing you correctly, Canadian cannabis could, there is a threat that that might take over the United States? Uh, uh, I mean, I don't know if it's as much of a scary as, as a threat, but I, I think, you know, we need to be wary if we want the California cannabis industry to continue to be controlled and centralized around California values and California operators. And so it's a make or break year because it sounds like there are a bunch of smaller operators, but that consolidation is just inevitable. I think, that, if, if, I think if you're a California operator and you don't partner up with someone in the next, you know, six to 12 months that has raised a few hundred million bucks, it's going to be hard to survive because these guys in Canada have billions and billions of dollars and it's only a matter of time before they start coming into California. Question for you, Adam. Inevitably, when when businesses grow to scale, like you're saying, and, and get really big, a lot of times, you know, um, product can suffer, like quality wise. But I think I know the answer that you're gonna say. I just want to hear it from your perspective. Um, how do you guys compete with the industrialization of what's going on with marijuana and like people are gonna be producing it on a mass scale? Yep. But keeping what you guys are doing with the craft movement, yeah. But it doesn't suffer the quality, so you can keep, you know, you know what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I think there's kind of a two-part answer. I mean, one, I think we've built a, a pretty robust technology team. I think you know we're compared to the other operators in California. You know, we've built, we have a technology team of you know 15 plus right now. That's going to grow to 25 plus in, in 2019. Which I think I don't think there's many other cannabis operators that are more you know probably five or so you know engineers on their team. We've got you know product managers, engineers, and UX people because. We have a much more, you know, complex and um, spread out model. You know, if you're a vertically integrated operator, uh, let's just say, you know, Central Valley is an example. You've got a 200,000 square foot greenhouse, you know, right next to your 50,000 square foot manufacturing or processing facility, right next to your 10,000 square foot distro hub. Versus us, we've got, you know, 100 plus farmers spread out over an area the size of Ireland, but we still need to have that same level of transparency and sort of, you know, visibility up and down the supply chain. So we've had to build a lot of technology to basically give us that visibility up and down the supply chain. You know, how much, you know, how much biomass is on each farm, how much is available, how much do we have of their of their inventory down in our each one of our distro hubs and our distribution facilities. You know, where is it? Is it getting processed into jars these days or is it going into, you know, pre-rolls this day? Uh, so we just have had to build a lot of technology to have a lot more visibility up and down the supply chain because it's a lot more complex. But to answer your other question, I think the great thing about sun-grown organic cannabis, you know, it can be very high quality, but also very, um, you know, cost effective to produce because all you're essentially using if you're doing it right is, you know, great soil that you've developed on your own farm, you know, over the years, 
water and sun and that's it that's true. so if you do it the right way you can grow very high quality cannabis at you know at a very cost effective manner that's true i i have a question about like the deals with the the growers because tell me if i'm off base tell, tell me if i'm too out there on this it's it's somewhat like a record label to me like you basically go and find talent and sign them to you you <laughs> yeah, know what i'm totally. saying i never like, thought about it like that you know what i mean so like how do those deals work? Like, if I'm a grower and I think I'm big time, you might not think that. Like, but if you do identify like the next Drake of growers, the next like, Drake, you know, like, is it oh, like a? Gotcha. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a, um, it's interesting to say. So we, uh, one of the brands that we power is um, California's Willie Nelson's brand, which uh, Willie's Reserve, um, which is like an example. Sort of the business development deals that we do is we basically, you know, have a they have. They've licensed Willie Nelson's brand, uh, and they operate in Washington, Colorado, and Oregon. And they wanted a partner in California. They didn't want to get a license, so we basically, you know, source white label copac and distribute for them. And they basically take a royalty. But for Willie Nelson, you know, he's kind of a unique guy. We have a network of over 100 farmers, so you know, his team came out to California. They visited a bunch of farmers in Emerald Triangle, you know, tasted a bunch of their flour, and kind of get, you know got a sense of which, you know, which of our farmers feel like they sort of connect with, you know, Willie Nelson specific sort of vibe and value. So, you know, within sort of the larger farmer ecosystem, they kind of find fa found farmers that kind of connect with Willie's Willie's values. And let's just say we power, uh, I don't know who's like a opposite of Willie Nelson. Say we powered Wiz Khalifa's cannabis brand. He'd probably connect with some different farmers mm -hmm. in our network than when Willie would. But uh, so yeah, in that way, it, it is pretty similar. Do they like? Do they sign to you? Like, is it contracts that they have to have with you? Like, they can only distribute to you. That's that's a really interesting question too. I mean, uh, you know, historically, contracts, uh, any sort of contracts, have not been a thing in cannabis because it's all been, you know, handshake deals basically. But yeah, we basically have sort of a core group of farmers that we continue to roll into contracts. But we basically have a contract to basically have, uh, you know, essentially first right of refusal to buy all their product. Okay. Yeah. Got you. What what's uh what are the popular flow flow pardon me Flocana products uh, out there? If our audience is listening, they want to try something new. Uh, is there something you can recommend for for someone who uh, who might be interested in getting into the brand? Uh, sure. I mean, some of some of my favorite strains. Definitely a fan of Pineapple Wonder and some of the general pineapple strains. I definitely love his one farmer, Essencia. Uh, I definitely like his strains, Magic Wand and Lime Juice, or some definitely two of my favorite strains. Uh, Water Dog Herb Farm. They they grow Phoenix, which is a which is a great uh, a great stain for sort of you know connect. Con I'll say into intimacy and con connecting with other people. Valentine's Day. <laughs> exactly. It's a Valentine's so, Day strain. So, there you go. <laughs> so, uh, uh, but it sounds like our audience should go in and ask for Flocana by name. But and say, yeah, and for say, sure. Hey, I do you do you sell Flocana here? Yeah, definitely. That's that's the way to go about it. Yep. I think most most dispensers in California should say, yeah, we've got it. Hopefully. <laughs> and so if you do use Flocana, then you're really promoting California, California farmers yep. in this battle against, I, I only joke about Canadians because my wife is Canadian. So I hey, guess I this mean, battle against Canadian Yeah, I mean, it's a personal thing. Like, I have no, no problem with the Canadian companies. I mean, they're doing a lot of really cool things. They're developing a lot of amazing genetics up in Canada. I think they're doing a lot of really cool stuff. Personally, we feel like we want to continue to build a model that's centered around sort of California values and the California brands. And you know, the California farmers that we really feel like have built this industry. So kind of a personal preference. No, nothing, nothing against Canadian, you know, Canadian. What, so what's next for you guys for over the next year or two? What are we going to see you guys getting into? What's the future? What's the future hold? Sure. Yeah. So the rest of this year, we've really honed sort of flour processing at a large scale. Next is, is turning on, uh, you know, oil extraction, manufacturing and Q2, Q3 or so. 
um, and getting that set up to be, you know, one of the larger processors in the state. Uh, and then towards the end of the year, uh, we'll be turning on, you know, manufacturing of other value add products like edibles and topicals and tinctures so we can help, you know, really help some of these smaller brands in the state, you know, scale and, and sort of white label empower some of these other brands. If people are out there, they're, they're cannabis entrepreneurs, uh, where, where should they get in touch or look up, look up the company to, to learn more? Find us, find us on Instagram. We're definitely a social media team. We'll definitely answer your, your DMs. They're on there pretty much all day answering people's DMs. So you can definitely uh, shoot us. It's, uh, you know, at flow underscore Kana. Or you can shoot us a message at info at, info at flowconda.com. I think this is so interesting because I feel like you guys took advantage of a major opportunity and you had to do it fast based on what I see. Yeah. Uh, and then you you went big and you weren't scared to go big. Uh, I really have to to give my my hat off to you yeah, for, for building it. something pretty yeah. spectacular. Uh, and it just seems like there's competition everywhere, but it doesn't seem to be intimidating you at all. So. No, not at all. We just got to move fast. Dope, man. Dope. Yeah, thanks so much for your time, guys. This Adam, was awesome. Thank, thank you for time. thank you for Had for stopping time. by. Everybody, please check out Flocana. Yeah. We're gonna check out Flocana, and uh, a lot more to come here at Chance Bending. So uh, we'll be talking to all of you again soon. Awesome. Thanks, guys. 